0: In the wonderful name of our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. So, I want to take this time to also welcome the visitors um, who are with us this morning. Uh, some have introduced themselves. who came very early. Um, I see new faces there at the back. I don't know if it's me or uh, are you guys new? Yes, yes. Are, are you new? Well, uh, what are your names? Uh, my name is David, and then, uh, Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. My namesake. <laughs> awesome. Welcome. Um also a special welcome to um Bethel and and Pardon. Um all the way from the UK. Um came to see uh, the, uh, Bethel is Pastagnoni's uh daughter. Um so welcome them and also uh Mr. Bishop and his family as well. Um we we um, believe in, in expository preaching. What expository preaching means is that we preach the Bible um, book by book. And so for the past um, um, couple of months, uh, probably a year and a, a few months, we've been going through the gospel according to Mark. And um, we are in Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12, reading from verse 18 to verse 27. Last week when we left off from Mark chapter 12, we saw Jesus interacting with uh, the Herodians and the Pharisees. They came to test him. It seems that um, there's a conspiracy to test Jesus and get him in trouble. Um, But now there's a theological test that is placed on Jesus by the Sadducees. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 18 to 27. The title for this morning's sermon is Questions of Eternity. Questions of Eternity. Let us read, Uh, Follow me as I read from the ESV, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 18 to 27. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise uh, raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven um, left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, How God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, this morning our prayer is, change our heart, O God. Make it ever true. Make me and mold me. This is what I pray. Our hearts are ready to hear your word. Our minds are ready to be transformed. Our wheel is ready to be bent to your wheel. Help us, O oh Lord, as we think about these eternal things. Stamp eternity on our hearts that your name will be glorified. In the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. If you think about it, nearly every culture that has ever existed has possessed some type of belief in the afterlife. A 19th century professor at Yale University named named James Dwight Danner summed up this hope of abiding life when he said that he did not believe that God would create man and then desert him at the grave. A quick overview of, of history shows that man has always possessed a hope of living beyond the grave. The ancient Egyptian book of the dead is full of tales of life after death. The tomb of Pharaoh uh, Pharaoh Cheops Um, who died some 5,000 years ago, contained a solar boat that was designed to carry him through the heavens in eternity. Ancient Greeks, on the other hand, were often buried with a coin in their mouth to pay their fare to cross the river Styx into the land of the dead. The Muslims look forward to their version of heaven where every sensual physical pleasure can be indulged throughout eternity. In fact, with the Muslims when you are involved in what they call the holy war, the jihad, you when you die, you well, this is for the men, right? <laughs> when you get to heaven, you will have a reward of 70 virgins. African traditional spirituality believes that those who die will assume a new role as guides and protectors of those they leave behind and will work as envoys of the higher being. They become ancestral spirits. Now, the ancient Jews were no exception. They also believed in life after death. Their Talmud which contained the written and oral traditions were filled with references to life after death. Uh, That is the issue that confronts us in these verses this morning. When the Pharisees and the Herodians failed to trap Jesus in his words, another group of religious Jews thought they would give it a try. Today we will examine this encounter between Jesus and the Sadducees. In the course of studying these verses, we will consider some questions of eternity. We all have questions about life after death. Every one of us is plagued, if I am allowed to use that word, with these kinds of questions. Whether you're a Christian or not, we are plagued by questions of life after death. We wonder, what will life look like on the other side? On the other side of the soil, what will life look like? Is this all that there is? Or is there something after we pass on? These are questions that plague us. We ask ourselves, what will the afterlife look like? What will we be when we get there? What will our relationships be with one another? And brothers and sisters, I know that we are all aware of these questions as well. It is not only questions that Christians ask. You would hear it in funerals, right? In funerals, even even when someone who was an unbeliever uh, uh, died, you'd hear things like, they are looking down on us. Have you heard that? Have you ever heard things like, God has gained another angel? Have you ever heard RIP rest in peace? That is brothers and sisters if I may to put it as a as a footnote. The biggest lie that can be the last biggest lie that is told to an unbeliever who has died is rest in peace. But anyways, let's 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 get into this. Jesus addresses questions like those in these verses. Uh, Let's consider the divisions of this text together as we look at questions of eternity. In verse 18, first of all, we see the opponents. As Jesus ministers in the temple, another group of Jews come to him. He has just confounded the Herodians and the the, the Pharisees. They, they, They were left amazed at his answer. Matthew tells us that this encounter took place on the same day that the Pharisees and the Herodians came. When you look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, they came for the very same reason. They wanted to discredit Jesus with the people. The Sadducees were a majority sect among the Jews. In fact, if you think about it this way, that theologically... um, in terms of theological ideologies, there were two groups. There were the Pharisees, and then there was the Sadducees. The Pharisees were more conservatives, and the Sadducees were liberals. Now, politically as well, there were also uh, um, two major groups. There were the Zealots, which were uh, more conservative. And then on the other hand, there were the Herodians, which were liberal, and they, they also loved Rome and its leadership now the pharisees are a minority sect among the jews they may have been few but they were the most powerful and influential of all the jewish sects the sadducees controlled all the buying and selling that went on at the temple thus they were angry with jesus because he had interrupted their business enterprises when he cleansed the temple remember in mark chapter 11 verse 12 to 19 the, the Sadducees also controlled the priesthood. All, all the high priests and chief priests were Sadducees. The Sadducees also formed the majority of the Sanhedrin or the Jewish Supreme Court. We, we see a lot of the Sanhedrin, especially in Acts, in as you read Acts. They, the, uh, uh, they were aristocratic and wealthy. They were friendly to Rome. Most of all, they, they, along with the Pharisees and the Herodians, hated Jesus. The Sadducees were disliked by the common Jew. They were often aloof, thinking that they were better than everyone else. They were prideful. They were rude. They were insensitive and, and very harsh in the, in, in the judgment they handed down. They, they cared nothing for the common man. They were also disliked because of their theology. They the, the, the Sadducees were extreme liberalist in their interpretation of the scriptures. All that they accepted as truly authoritative was the, the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They believed that one could not base theology on what the prophets or other Old Testament writers said. The doctrine that caused them the most trouble with the people was their denial of all things supernatural. They did not believe in supernatural things. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. They they, they never believed in that. They believed in the existence of God, but they rejected everything else that was of a supernatural nature. They did not believe in demons. They did not believe in angels or the devil. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in heaven or hell. They did not believe in, in a future judgment. They did not believe in life after death. Nor did they believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. Oh, I should get it. I mean, it's a, it Sadducees. sad, you see. But anyways, <laughs> they, they could not find these doctrines in their reading of the Pentateuch, so they rejected them out of hand. The, the Sadducees have been described as liberals, when, when in fact they were the extreme fundamentalists of the day. They, they refused to accept the authority of anything they could not support by, their, by a literal reading of the law of Moses. Yet, because they did not believe in life after death, a resurrection or a future judgment, they tended to live for the moment. They were what we call the YOLO people, right? You only live once. They, they lived their lives for power and profit. They, their philosophy could, could be described as one of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. By the way, this is the same mentality that grips modern people. People in our day have rejected the Bible as the standard and rule of life. Because they have done that, they have no hope of life after death. And they have no hope of resurrection. They have no fear of a future judgment. Uh, People don't believe in the existence of evil or hell. They believe everyone who dies goes to heaven. Go to any funeral. Go to any funeral. Whether it's a Christian or not, they will talk about that person as if they are in heaven. Man does not believe that he will face God in judgment, so he lives as he pleases. But that picture that the Apostle Paul paints in, 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 first, uh, in, in Romans, of people who in their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. But there is a God, isn't there? His word is still the final authority. There will be a resurrection. Man will live somewhere forever. Man will face God in judgment. There is a hell. There is Jesus. Jesus is our only true hope of salvation. In John chapter 14 verse 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. If you notice the way he refers to himself, he uses the definite article. In other words, when he says, I am the way, he says there's no other way. When he says, I am the truth, he says there's no other truth. When he says, I am the life, there is no other life outside of him. When he says no one, it means no one without exception. Only one road lead to Jesus. It is not as the world says that all roads lead eventually lead to Jesus. Only one road. And that is the road of repentance and faith his finished work on the cross have you done that have you placed your faith in Jesus because of the gospel have you believed in the good news of the gospel so we see first um, the opponents the, the, the Sadducees secondly we see the silliness in verse 19 to verse 23 the silliness These men come to Jesus and call him teacher, just like the Herodians and the Pharisees. From their lips, although it was true, from their lips it was designed to flatter Jesus and cause him to let down his God. But it didn't work. These men appealed to Moses. He was the great lawgiver. He was the spokesman for God. He was universally respected by all the Jews. The Sadducees knew of Christ's respect for the scriptures, so they approach with what they see as a problem from the word of God. These men have constructed a puzzle that they feel Jesus cannot solve. Their aim is to embarrass him in front of all the people who have got it in the temple. They they begin to tell Jesus a story based on the Old Testament law to liberate of, of, of levirate marriage. The, this law was taught in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 to 10. The, this law made provision for families, tribal names, and inheritances intact. In other words, if a man died with no living children, his next of kin would marry his widow and raise up a child in the name of the deceased. This is still practiced among some African cultures. It is still a practice. When a, a man dies, usually his brother, who is not married, will marry the widow. This, this law, what was brought about the union between... Uh, what, what, it was what brought about the union between Jew, Judah and Tamar, if you remember in Genesis chapter 38, which ensured, which ensured that Jesus would be born of the tribe of Judah. It also made it possible for for Ruth and Boaz to get married in Ruth chapter 4, which further ensured that Jesus would be born of the tribe of Judah. This was a very important law to the nation of Israel. It guaranteed that a family's inheritance would stay in the family. Based on this law, the Sadducees come to Jesus with the tale of a man and a woman that the man died without leaving an heir. That the man had seven brothers. He, When he died, the next brother took the wife, but he died before producing an heir. Each of the brothers married the woman in turn, and each died before producing an heir. Finally, the woman herself died. And you can say in relief... Sighing in relief, poor woman. The question is, who will she belong to in the resurrection of the dead? <laughs> they, they they think they are trapping Jesus with this. The, the Jews who believed in the resurrection believed that life in eternity would be a continuation of life here on earth. They, they believed that a man would have the same family in heaven that he had here. Of course, the Sadducees didn't even believe in a resurrection. They they were just trying to embarrass Jesus. They, they they were probably trying to mock his belief in the resurrection as well. These fellows thought that they had They created a puzzle that Jesus could not solve. They thought that their questions revealed the absolute silliness of the resurrection. They they thought that Jesus was trapped in their eyes. Whether he answered or not, they believed they could claim. The victory over him. Well, whatever their intention, their question was silly. And Jesus proved that by his answer. Before we go to the answer, let me say this as well uh, in, in parentheses. Uh, there are people that don't believe the Bible, but want to argue from the Bible against what you believe. Have you, have you met those kind of people? These kind of people, uh, sometimes you ask them, you say, if I answer your question right now, will you be so satisfied as to consider being a Christian? And they say, no. You know what the problem is? The problem is not really intellectual. You may answer all the, 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 the questions that they have. You may answer them well. As well as you possibly can, but the problem really is not the the, the fact that they are intellectually struggling with a question. The problem is moral. You will answer the question tomorrow, they will ask the same question to someone else, as if it was not answered very well. They will find another Christian who is not reading their Bible very well, and they will confound them with the answer, with the question. That's why Christians must read their Bibles. (laughs) You must spend time in the Bible When I was 17 I was not a Christian um, And I hated everything to do with Christianity But I knew the Bible I knew so much of the Bible That I was so ready to argue with my peers Because I was forced to read the Bible but, but I was using it for evil means. And I was so ready to argue with my peers and show them that they know nothing. Brothers and sisters, we need to read the Bible. We need to spend time in the Word. They came to ask a question about something that they don't believe in. Not because they wanted clarity on it, but they wanted to embarrass Jesus. They wanted to confuse Jesus. They wanted to show him how silly it is to believe in the resurrection. But notice the answer in verse 24 to verse 25. We see the answer. We see first the opponents, the silliness, and then the answer. Verse 24 to verse 27. Jesus wasn't as easy to defeat as they figured. In his answer, he put them in their place. And he answered some very important questions regarding eternity as well first of all we see in verse 22 a confrontation in verse 24 a confrontation jesus began his response by accusing this man of being in error the, the the word wrong that he uses there means to go astray to go aside from the right way it, 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 it sometimes carries the idea of living in a dream world jesus looks at these religious hypocrites and he says to them you men have no idea what you're talking about you are living in a dream world you are dead wrong i want to say it in twana i know a lot of people might not hear me but he's kind of saying (laughs) that's the emphasis you are dreaming Jesus went on to say that they were wrong thinking uh, they, they they had a wrong thinking that came from two specific areas. First of all, they were ignorant of God's word. They didn't know the word of God. These men read the scriptures and they believed what they read, but they were ignorant of the message in the word. If they had just taken the time to read the whole word and believe it, they would have been; con- they would not have been confused about the resurrection. And that's why Christians, when you read the Bible, don't read verse of the day. That's not reading the Bible. It's not reading the Bible, because you will know a lot of verses, but you won't know the Bible. You you won't know how those verses connect. The truth of the resurrection is printed all over the the, the, the Old Testament. These men were, were, were like so many in our day. They, they knew just enough Bible to be dangerous. They, they ran around saying the Bible says this, the, the Bible says that, but they were dead wrong about what they believed it said. Let me give you some of the following uh, things that people, uh, you know, um, believe today. They, 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 the same thing is true today. Have you ever heard any of the following uh, phrases? Adam and Eve ate, ate what? An apple in the Garden of Eden. Cain ran away to his uncle after killing Abel. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Mary rode a donkey to Bethlehem when she was expecting Jesus. There were three wise man Noah only took two of every kind of animal into the ark (coughs) you have the power to speak things into existence there are so many things I know you're shocked this is homework to go back to your Bible and read and reclarify. The reason God confused the people's languages in Babel in, 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 in in was because they wanted to build buildings to get to heaven. These are things a lot of people believe. But in actuality, they are not there. If you go back to the passages and read them carefully, you will notice that none of that is actually true. Most people believe these things to be true, but they are misinterpretation of what the Bible says. Or they are old wives' tales that cannot be found in the word of God. Reading the Bible will destroy a lot of what people say they believe. Let me just remind you that we have a duty to study the word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show yourself approved as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly handling the word of God. They were ignorant of God's word, but not only that, but they were ignorant of God's power. These men believed that God created the universe out of nothing. They believed that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. They believed God could do all that, but they did not believe that he had the power to raise the dead. How silly is that? Let me just take a minute to remind you that God, the God we serve, is an all-powerful God. There's nothing beyond the realm of possibility With him. Here's what the Bible teaches about that. You look at Luke chapter 1 verse 18, what does it say? There's nothing impossible with God. Doesn't it say that? If you believe him, you can see the impossible take place. That is the power of faith in an all-powerful God. Now, not only is there a confrontation in verse 24 and verse 25 to verse 27a, there's a clarification. Jesus offers a clarification. Now, Jesus gets to the heart of this puzzle of theirs. He says them straight about their errors in their belief system. Verse 25, Jesus refers to the nature of heavenly relationships. While the, the relationship of marriage is a wonderful and divinely ordained institution, it is an absolutely earthly institution. Marriage was designed for companionship, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. It was designed for procreation, Genesis chapter 1 verse 22, and for the fulfillment of legitimate sexual needs, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 when we get to heaven we will be like the angels only in the sense that we will be physical i mean we will be spiritual beings that will have no no need for the physical necessity of this earthly life in heaven like the angels we will be deathless we will be sinless we will be sexless we will be glorified and eternal But unlike the angels, we will be like Jesus. That's what will distinguish us from the angels. We will be like Jesus. Life will be different when we get there. There will be no need for reproduction and childbirth because there will be no death. There will be no exclusive physical relationship like there are here. Because in heaven, everyone will be perfectly and intimately related to everyone else, including God. In verse 26-27, Jesus refers to the reality of the resurrection. The Sadducees came to Jesus talking about Moses, so Jesus turns to Moses to answer their question. He contextualizes, it's amazing, isn't it, that they believe in the first five books and they believe that the first five books don't teach about the resurrection, and Jesus goes to the first five books. He points them to Exodus chapter 3 to chapter 4, where Moses had his encounter with God at the burning bush. Four times in the passage in chapter 3, verse 6, 14 and 15, chapter 4, verse 5, God says, I'm the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In those areas, God speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob not as dead men, not as, but as men who are alive. In fact, they are alive. These men were more alive after they died than they were when they, while they were living in the world. When they died, they went into the presence of the Lord to live forever. Jesus reminded these men that God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. For God to refer to those three men in the present tense means that they were and are very much alive. We serve a living God. Our God is not in the grave and Although when we die, our bodies are hidden in graves, we continue to live in his presence. We serve the God of the living. You will notice that Jesus does not argue argue the reality of the resurrection. He is not trying to prove that the resurrection is a real thing. The Bible does not try to do that. The Bible does not even try to prove that God exists. It assumes God exists. In the beginning, God. He simply states it as a fact. In verse 25, Jesus says, For when they rise from the dead, the resurrection is a reality because Jesus himself conquered death when he rose from the dead. He became the promise uh, of resurrection to all who believe in him for uh, salvation. Because Jesus rose from the dead, those who have their faith in him for salvation have passed from death to life. John chapter 5 verse 25. When Jesus saves a soul, he raises the person from spiritual death. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. He makes them alive in Himself. He gives them life. And that is why salvation is referred to as the new birth. John chapter 3, verse 3 and and verse 7, we we see Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. He speaks to him about the new birth, and he he tells them that, that those who experience the new birth the, 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 the kingdom of God are those who are born again. In other words, what Jesus Christ is saying about being born again, he says your first birth, there's something wrong with your first birth because you were born in sin and trespasses. That The new birth rectifies that it brings you and cleanses you regenerates you makes you new he who is new in christ is a new creature old things have passed away behold the new has come when when a person receives jesus they become a partaker of everlasting life they are given his abundant life both here And after. Everybody who dies will experience a resurrection. Some will get up again and receive everlasting life. Others will get up again and face God in judgment. Which is true for you? Which, where will you, how will you rise? Will you rise to the joy of the Lord? To the brightness of the Master's face? Or will you rise to the frown of God? Who tells you, I never knew you. Get behind me. Which will you see and experience? Jesus is the dividing line between life and death. Between heaven and hell. Much of the nature of our existence in heaven will remain a mystery until we arrive there. But there are some things we can know for sure. Uh, Let me share a few with you. First of all, you will still be known as you in heaven. You will still be known as you in heaven. You might be given a new name, but you will still be known as you. You will retain your individuality there. Your physical appearance will say that you are you. You will simply be better, perfected, and glorified. Remember Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. They were recognized and known. Those who die in Jesus lose nothing of themselves, but they become a better glorified self. You will know your loved ones in heaven. As one man said, I know you are here and I will not be I will not be a bigger fool there than I am here. You will know your loved ones in heaven. But let me tell you, your loved ones that are not in Christ, you will not see them in heaven. We should make that clear, shouldn't we? It might not be a popular thing to say today, but not everyone who dies go to heaven. It is only those who know Jesus Christ. It is only those who have surrendered their lives to him. It is only those who have given their lives to him. When you get to heaven, a couple of things that you're going to experience, as one Puritan says, first of all, you're going to be surprised that you will find people that you did not expect there. Secondly, you're going to be surprised that people that you expected to be there are not there thirdly, you're going to be surprised that you are there. Because everyone who is in heaven does not deserve it. This is only a matter of grace. And everyone who is in hell deserves it. You will be known as you in heaven. Secondly, there will be no marriages in heaven. But love will be perfected there. When I read this, I became a bit sad, but more joyful. Because I want to marry my wife again in heaven. But uh, it will be perfected. We will love one another fully, perfectly, without jealousy. I do, however, believe that there will we will remember our earthly relationships in heaven. We will simply view them through glorified eyes. There will be no death in heaven. Those who go there will live forever. No more death. No more pain. No more tears. No more sickness. No more trauma. None of those. We will be in glorified bodies. Will receive a new body in heaven. With that in mind, we should face the death, the, the death of our loved ones with confidence. If you if, if they knew Jesus, they are more alive today than they were. If we know Jesus, we will meet them again in heaven. If Jesus is coming, and when he does, he will bring the departed saints with him, he will raise and glorify their bodies, and gather us all together, and take us all to heaven. Not only does it encourage us, but it gives us a fervency of sharing the gospel. Brothers and sisters, when you look in the eyes of your unconverted family members, and you don't tell them the truth, you don't tell them the truth, and they continue to live, As they live. Your home is prepared. God is not ashamed to be called your God. Because He prepared a home for you. But how can you look at people in the eye? Knowing that your home is prepared. Knowing that you will meet the smile of God you will hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful seven. How can you look at your family members? How can you look at people who know nothing about Jesus? How can you look at them and continue to live as if all is well and normal? I don't think we can. If we truly believe the gospel, if we truly believe the promises of God, it will be a a bittersweet experience when we think about it. That the joy of meeting God and seeing Him face to face, but the sadness and the grief of knowing that if any of our members who do not know Christ die without having repented and turned away from sin, they will enter the wrath of God fully. Jesus concludes his words by saying, you are quite wrong. The word wrong, as I said earlier, means to stray, to go aside from the right way. But here it is. It is in a form that suggests that the Sadducees were guilty of leading themselves astray. They were blind to the truth that was right before them. And they chose the wrong path over the right way. That is the reality of some people. They come to church. They hear the truth. They hear... God calling them in his word. They are sin exposed and they go out. Continue in those sins. Continue in rebellion. And they come back. And the process goes on and on and on. And they continue to hide themselves as God peels away at their characters, at their personalities. God peels away exposing their sin, yet they cover it. God peels away, they cover themselves and go out and continue in that life. Brothers and sisters, there will come a day when that stops. When the holy gavel of God is hit on the table. And he says to you, it is enough, have your sin and enter my wrath. Sometimes in sin, we fatten ourselves like, 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 like cows. When we sin, we are fattening ourselves for the wrath of God. There will come a day of slaughter these people were leading themselves astray they were blind to the truth that was before them what about you are you following the right path today have you trusted jesus as your lord and savior are you ready to go to heaven or are you still headed to hell come to jesus and be saved do you have fears and questions about eternity The Lord will help you find the questions, the answers to those questions. Come to him. Are you saved today? Has the Lord confirmed some things in your heart this morning? Has he given you encouragement concerning where you are headed when this life is over? If so, come before him and thank him for who he is and for what he has done for you. Can you hear the voice of God calling you to turn away from your sin as he speaks to you this morning? Come to him and know him. Can you hear him convicting you of your silence with the gospel? Be fervent with sharing the gospel for making him known. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, we look forward to a day when we will not experience death, sickness, or difficulty. A day when we will be with you. Our prayer is that you will give us that joy but also a passion to reach out to those who do not know you. May your name be glorified this morning. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.